Welcome back to the Product Stories Podcast, hosted by Victor Peralnik. This podcast helps founders like yourself to find leaner ways to build successful SaaS products. We talk about product management, development, remote work, and anything else that non-technical, as well as technical founders need to know to launch and scale software products. Make sure you hit that subscribe button to receive exclusive write-ups with highlights, takeaways, and quick wins from the episodes straight to your inbox. Welcome to Product Stories. Today's guest is Quinn Zeta, founder of Conversion Crimes, and she will tell us how UX testing improves user experience and takes the guesswork out of optimizing any flows and funnels that you have. Quinn, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Oh yeah, absolutely. I've been looking forward to this one uh, a lot because first I had to reschedule it, then I had to reschedule it again, then you had to reschedule it. We did finally make it. So let's dive into uh, UX testing. But first, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your background. Yeah, I've never had a job. So I started my business right out of college. It was really interesting. I thought I wanted to be like this big creative director at an agency. And I went on like a tour and they were like, yeah, this is like the desk you're going to sleep under. Do you have any hobbies? Forget about it. You're going to be the first one in, the last one. I was like, oh, that sounds scary. I think I'll just start my own business. <laughs> so, um, it probably ended up working the same way anyway. <laughs> yeah, but it's, but it's my journey. Instead of doing something for someone else, I got to do it for myself. So I ended up freelancing for many years and then I ended up getting more jobs than I could handle. So I started to outsource to other freelancers and eventually that kind of turned into an agency. And I ran a conversion agency, Zeta Labs for, I don't know, maybe like the last like five years or so. And we held seven figure businesses scale. Eventually, like we're all building things. We duct tape stuff together. We figure it out. And then they're like, oh, we, we like have a thing now. And we need, we need to turn it into something else. We would come in and we'd like destroy everything and rebuild it for them to help them get ready for scale. And that's when we kind of found that the 80-20 of uh, CRO and user experience was user testing, which led to me building my own SaaS conversion crime. So it's been a really fun journey. That's awesome. What's the main problem that you're solving? What does it do? We used user testing at the agency. And we used like a tool that was called Peak by User Testing, where you could get like a free user test every month or something like that. And when they got rid of it, we didn't really have a way to use that, that tool anymore because all of the user testing companies out there are built for the enterprise. They have a ton of features. They're really expensive. It's hard to use. And so we were like, hey, let's, let's build this for the SME market for small businesses. Yeah, that's that's awesome. How did you validate it? What was your prototype, essentially? So the first thing I did was I built a paper MVP. So pretty much I used Amazon's Mechanical Turk. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's like this micro workforce where people do things for, I don't know, anything from one cent till $20. <laughs> These like kind of small micro tasks. And so I set up um, with Google Forms to set like the test questions and gather the data from testers. I used HiFi at the time. I think they were bought by Drift now. And then we used like Loom for the video recording to record the screen and then Google Sheets to manage the process. So what I did is I went to 
a community that I was part of called the Dynamite Circle. And I placed an offer and said, hey, I'm trying to like validate this new product to see if anyone finds value out of it. And I sold like maybe 12 customers or something and they all got value out of it. And they were like, you're not charging enough for this. So then that kind of validated it. And then I was like, okay, this is way too much work. Just the way that I built it. So then I built it in a way that a human could go behind it, validated it, continued to get customers and build sales but it really wasn't sustainable. So then I was like, okay, now I'm going to actually have to build this into something that can be somewhat automated because you have to connect like testers to the tests and kind of manage a lot of moving parts with it. So that's how I initially validated the product. And out of interest, so at, at that point, once you weren't able to handle that yourself, you decided, oh, I need to build software. Did you hire a VA or anything like that in between kind of the bridge of the gap or did you yeah. immediately? Yeah, exactly. So I hired a VA that kind of helped me. Um, it was this guy, um, oh my God, his name escapes me right now, that kind of helped me do the back end stuff. But it was really too much to handle on the side of the agency. So I really struggled over probably two years to build on the side while still maintaining the agency. And if I could go back, I would have dedicated a um, separate team to it rather than trying to use my agency team to also manage client projects and the internal thing. But that was a really big learning for me. That's interesting. A lot of people say that. And so how did you now end up developing your first version of your SaaS? Yeah. So initially I hired like a college kid to build it out. And I was like, look, I just need to like really prove the market here and prove the product. So I hired a kid. I was like, look, if it's like total crap, like who cares? We can rebuild it later. But like about two weeks, I, I actually paid for a sponsorship at a conference. And two weeks before the developer, he had a mass shooting in his town that he, where he was at. And he just had like a mental breakdown <laughs> breakdown and disappeared. So two weeks before launch, I was like left with nothing because you can't bring another developer in with the college kid. You didn't have like good documentation or like any of that. I had no idea what was going on. I went to my developer that was on my team where we developed WordPress sites for our clients. And he's, hey, let's just build this in what we know. Let's just build it in WordPress. And we're like, okay. So in like two weeks time, we got like a working prototype up in time to at least make something out of that sponsorship. Wow. That, that is actually really fascinating. It shows that <laughs> building in what you can actually be really fast, even though, yeah, most people probably wouldn't build a SaaS of WordPress, but who cares if it works, at least in the beginning. Are you still in WordPress? Yeah, we still are. You'd be surprised what you can develop in WordPress. We just used it as a kind of data management system. And then we build stuff off of WordPress and then WordPress like kind of pulls in the data and stuff. So other things are doing high intensity kind of work and, and things I, like that. I know that you've hired a, a, mu a much more senior developers uh, since. How did you go about finding them? Where, where did they work? Yeah. So yeah, hiring a developer is hard. So the developer that worked for me at the agency, we worked together for seven or eight years. So I had really had to develop it or go out and hire developers. And that college kid, I was like, oh God, that didn't work at all. So I wrote, um, I spent time, like probably an entire day writing like a really good job ad, like really focusing on the vision, the mission, the things we were going to do, the culture of um, our company 
and really the footprint that we wanted to leave, like our mission statement. And then I went and I posted this on four different job boards and I tried to hit up a couple different places. So I hit up WeWork Remotely to hit like the remote workforce. I did Dynamite Jobs. That's in a community that I'm in, the Dynamite Circle, the founders. And I thought that was like a wild card. I didn't really think they had developers. Job Rack and No Fluff Jobs. So WeWork Remotely, I got the most applicants from but I also got harassed to death by agencies, had a lot of low quality entries calling me on the phone, they were researching me, like it was really obnoxious. Dynamite Jobs is where we got the best results and that was my wild card. They were only 20% of the applicants, but they were actually 70% of our shortlist and they were actually led to the hire that we made. So super high quality candidates and really great culture fits. Job Rack, we didn't get really many applicants. The founder was really great though. And I've had a couple of friends that got really good results there, but I, and then no fluff jobs. I was thinking all oh, Eastern European, I can get really high quality developers here. When I did my research, Poland seemed like the place. And I actually only got one job applicant from them. And the experience was like, just completely awful. So when I got these candidates, I narrowed them down. I asked questions in my job application. Like, why do you want this job? Why, like, what, what are you looking for? And I looked at those answers because culture is really important to me. And developers are actually really hard on this because there, there's an abundance of jobs. So getting them to actually put time into the application was a little bit hard. So I had to let go of some of the stuff that works for my other roles and give in a little bit for this developer. And then I entered interviewed about 20 of the developers and shortlisted it to about six that I passed over to my COO at the time who had a much more technical background than me. So then he filtered them to the top three. And then those top three were interviewed by my current WordPress developer or the one at the time. And he graded them. And then we had a discussion about that. And then the final step was we ran a skills test. So I'm not a technical founder and I really wanted to give them like a tiny project inside the app, but this ended up being too hard for a small team to implement. So I just went with a skills test. I think it was like test gorilla or something. And it was really interesting because one of the applicants, um, did not do well in that test. And the one that we ended up hiring passed with flying colors. Not only that, but he actually wrote the customer support about a question that they asked. He's, you asked me this question, but in this circumstance, it would have been this answer, but in this other circumstance, it would have been this. So I don't want to get this question wrong. Like blah, 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 blah. And he wrote all this like stuff out. So it was really interesting. So that was, that was pretty much our process. <laughs> that's awesome. That is that's actually a very good process, and it, I'm amazed by how you just came up and went with it. That is very good. So anyway, let's dive into our main topic, which uh, is UIUX testing. Are you enjoying this product stories episode? Make sure to never fall behind and stay current with monthly recaps of the two previous podcast episodes by subscribing. You can get the best highlights, takeaways, and quick wins accessible at any time. To access the Go-Getters guidelines for people who like getting straight to the point, hit subscribe now. It a question that some people might ask themselves is why would I even need to do UX testing? Doesn't hiring a designer do the trick? Isn't that what they're supposed to be doing? Yeah, we all know how to use our own app. Like we built it. 
We work on it every day. We made it. But we don't know what it looks like to someone for the first time. I built stuff before and because I have a design background as well. And I'm like, oh, people are going to completely understand how to use this. No, they don't. They don't. And things that I thought, oh, I'm not sure if they're like really going to understand this. They got it. It was like nothing. So really just watching someone else use the thing that you built gives so many insights into um, how you can improve the user experience, how people are understanding it. Do they, what do they understand? Do they know how to use it? Where are they confused? As a designer, we want to make things look good. And like I said, sometimes we think it's simple when it's really not. <laughs> Yeah, totally. And so I have a SaaS app. How would I go about testing that? What should I do? What? How should I pick what to test or how to set up a test like that? What should my goal be really? So you got to think about your business and what your problems are, like what's popping up for you. You can really run a test to find out anything. The only real limit is your imagination. You can test prototypes. You can test a full website. You can test applications. So are there people that are in your support asking the same question over and over again? Is analytics telling you people are dropping off at a specific step in the process? Do you know something is confusing, but you don't know how to fix it? Is your bounce rate super high? Are you having trouble getting your value proposition correct? Are people like on, like confused about what it is that you do? Are trial users not converting to paid customers as well as you want them to? Are they not understanding how to use a new feature that you just launched or what have you? So you just have to think about the problems that you're having. You can also run just like a general test just to be like, well, I don't know what's wrong. I want to find stuff. You can do that as well. But I like to really target really specific questions um, that people are having and write a test in a way so I can find that answer and solve that problem. Mm-hmm. And how would I structure that, that, that concrete test? I, I know I need people to look at it, but what do I write them specifically or who should I choose? Yeah, so we noticed that a lot of people have struggle writing tests. So we actually built that service into our product so we can write the test for you. But it's actually, once you know how to do it, it's pretty simple. It's just what are the steps somebody has to go through to do that? They have to go to the website. They're, they're going to maybe look at something. Then they're going to sign up. What are they going to do after they sign up? What do you want them to do? Do you want them to follow the tutorial? Or do you want them to like try to use a specific feature? So it's okay, you landed on this website. What is it? What do you think you can do here? Okay, now I want you to sign up for a trial. Okay, go through the onboarding process until you do X and then move on to the next task. So you're literally just guiding them on what you want them to do. And you can ask specific questions. Can you figure out how to schedule a meeting or something like this? Or you can be like, what's the first thing you want to do? And then see like where they go. What do they want to do? So you can leave it to answer like a specific question, or you can see what questions do people have? Like when they go to our dashboard, what is the first thing that they want to do? Because you probably also don't want to give people too many hints because if somebody just signs up, comes into your application for the very first time and you tell them, and now go there, do this, that might already give something away that some people are missing. So that's probably very tricky. You don't want to leave them. A lot of times we'll change the language that we use. So if you have something called, I don't know, like schedule, we'll be like, can you find out how to make an appointment? 
Like we won't use the word schedule. Do they know to go to schedule and things like that? But sometimes you do want to lead them to do something because you want to answer a specific question. In that case, it's okay. But you don't want to give them like the exact terminology to look for. Oh, okay. Now go to the menu and find like schedule, then click. Like you don't want to write these kind of instructions. And when you watch the video, it's like literally like being inside their head and understanding um, exactly what they're experiencing, where they're frustrated, where they're confused, where they're like, oh, wow, this is cool. This is also cool to know like where people are delighted and excited or having fun in your application. But it's also really hard when they're like rage clicking and you can hear them. They're like, oh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to mess up the recording. But they're like, and they're like. You know, like clicking their mouse and then, oh, maybe I should make that clickable. <laughs> <laughs> That's where, where those aha moments come from. Nice. Uh, it, so who should I invite for user testing and how many people are enough to get like statistically somewhat significant data out of it? Yeah, so we have a tester pool that we're growing every month and we source from. So we find users in your target audience. So we get as close to it as possible that we can. And really, you just need five users. This is qualitative data, right? So they're telling you the why behind stuff, and it doesn't really need to be quantified, but you can take that data and then go get that data from like um, Hotjar or your analytics. You can go back and, okay, here's where the problem is. Let me go to my analytics and see like what that's happening in mass. You can do 20 users to get more statistical significance, but really it's much better to do five users and test four times than it is to do one test with 20 users. And the reason for that is after five users, you get about 85% of the issues. And after that, it's like the law of diminishing returns. They're literally just going to be saying the same thing over and over again. And to continue to watch those videos, it's like exhausting to watch like them doing the same thing like 20 times. You're like, okay, five's enough. Let's go fix those problems and let's just run another test and see if that fixed it or not. So I know I've screwed up. Stop telling me. <laughs> It's like Groundhog Day. And so do you know what are the most common UX mistakes that SaaS founders make in, in their app or also on their landing pages? On the landing pages, it's a lot about the product positioning and value proposition. And that's really the hardest thing to get right. Like we're still learning how to do that at Conversion Crimes. Like how do people describe the app? How can you communicate to them? Really the messaging is like one of the hardest parts to get. And that's literally one of the hardest things to, hardest things to do. So that's the number one kind of mistake they're doing on their landing pages. I'm not answering questions correctly and so forth. For inside the app, it's really the onboarding. When people are coming into your app for the first time, do they know what to do? Are they led to do the right things? And also it's like for adoption, it's what is the most, you want to show the user value as fast as possible. So like with Facebook, it was like they found that when you add five friends, you're more likely to stay on or seven or like whatever it was. So it's they make the first thing you do when you onboard is like add friends to be sticky. So it's about finding what is that sticky part of your app to get people to get value as fast as possible and leaving them there. Which that also is, is a hard thing. That is a hard thing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I guess the main challenge of any 
pre-product market fit SaaS founder. It, well, speaking of pre, very pre-product market fit, should I already test prototypes, maybe even wireframes? Absolutely. You can test anything with a link. So what's great about that is you can test an image, you can test a wireframe, you can see it's not going to be the same as like testing an app or, or a website or something like that, but you can see what people understand. Are they like, oh, I think it would be over here. I would click to find the answer to that. You can really start to understand in the prototype and make really rapid changes with that, right? Because once you go to development, it's 10x the time to get anything done, which I'm also coming to learn. It's, and it costs more. So in a prototype, it's all I have to do is move the box and it's done. And then I can go test that again. Whereas once it's in development, it's it's really not that easy. Yeah, I'm a real big proponent of continuing to test at all stage of the process because it just saves money and time overall. Yeah, that, that's very true. It's a thing that we keep telling everybody is that once you pour something into code, it's made for automation for a scale. That's why mm -hmm. it's so expensive. Whenever you automate something, you build a machine that automates things. That is simply very expensive to change. And it's much easier to test anything outside of that. Not always, of course, and, and, and especially when you have a large application where you can just release something and, and see how users <laughs> adopt it or not, or whether support has to work long hours today. But generally, it, it really saves a lot of money. Yeah, and you can't do stuff like analytics on prototypes and things like yeah, that. Yeah, of course. So just like watching people use it, it's just you can just make really simple changes. Totally. And uh, do you use conversion crimes on conversion crimes? Yes, we have. Actually, I had to use a third-party <laughs> service because all our testers know us, and they already use it. <laughs> <laughs> but a bunch of times we're like, they're, yeah, like a couple months ago we ran well, but we're, yeah, just go through a test and tell us everything you hate about our app. <laughs> and so they just went through the test and they're like, okay, this is annoying. All this. Okay, so we actually have a release coming out probably this month, at the end of this month, fix a lot of those issues. So. I think you, you changed your site since we last spoke. Is that right? Where yeah, am I? <laughs> I'm always listening and I'm always changing. It's really about the iterative process. I read um, the book Atomic Habits by James Clear, and he talks about if you just get 1% better every day, that's 37x by the end of the day. So really that kind of ties into what conversion crimes is. It's just continue to test, continue to like get information, continue to learn and just iterate. We're just iterating ourselves to success. So I already have a new headline I want to change it to. And when people ask questions or they're like, oh, it's confused about this just go ahead and change it and just continue to make it better so we we like live by that philosophy and i think that's a very good and effective mindset and uh to to speak a bit more about conversion crimes itself how exactly do you streamline this entire process how do you help founders yeah, so this tool is well known, like user testing in the enterprise, I guess the enterprise, I don't want to say community businesses, I can't think of the word right now, but with enterprise, they use this tool a lot and they have entire teams dedicated to user experience and increasing conversions and so forth. And so a lot of their solutions are about like getting multiple people on something. And so to get the data from that, you have to export to Excel, organize all the stuff. So we're just making get a really good user experience and simplifying it down to what's like, where's like most of the value in this and how can we make that as fast as possible and as cheap as possible for small businesses. 
So literally with, when we used user testing, it took two days to organize and analyze the results. And with ours, it takes about 25% more time than the length of the videos. So if the videos are like 50 minutes, it takes about like 70 minutes to get through. And then our platform automatically takes the tester inputs and your inputs and correlates it into an automatic report that gives you the information that you need. So we just made it super fast, simple to use. And then the other thing we do is that, like I mentioned earlier, is that a lot of people, their barrier to get started is, well, I don't know how to write a test. So like, fine, we'll write the test for you. And actually, it's like the same price right now if we write the test or not, um, at least for our biggest um, test, which is where most of the tests end up. And then the other thing they have is I don't have the time or I don't know how to pull insights from this, which really it's if you're a little bit savvy and you watch someone do something, you know exactly what to do. So we'll actually watch the videos for you, make a test summary, and then our experts will be like, hey, we found these problems and here's how we suggest fixing them. And so they literally give like a to-do list that you can implement or a developer can implement. That's, that's how we do it. That's cool. So it's as turnkey as you'd like it to have. You come with a problem and, uh, and you, you could even just receive a to-do list from you. Um, yeah. That's, we meet that's people super where cool. they're at. <laughs> meet them where they're at, <laughs> wherever they're at. <laughs> so where, where can I find more about you, about uh, conversion crimes? Where can I... So yeah, you can go to conversioncrimes.com or conversioncrimes.com slash product stories for a little special little landing page for you guys. To learn more about me, I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Quinzeda, Q-U-I-N-Z-E-D-A. And uh, eventually I'm going to write a blog series, a founder series, where I'm talking about this startup journey because it's been like, I've learned so much <laughs> the last since we launched. Like, it's insane. I, I have so much like I need to get out. So I'm going to be starting that up soon. I'm definitely going to subscribe to that. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. Ah, thank you for having me. This has been great. This show is brought to you by Trust Shoring your friendly concierge to find reliable and tested software developers from Eastern Europe. We recruit full-time developers, match you to an experienced software house that's ideal for your requirements, or recommend a reliable freelancer for smaller projects. But most importantly, you benefit from our experience of developing software remotely for almost 10 years. We give you one-on-one -on -one guidance all the way so you're never lost. Stop the tedious hiring or vetting process and get matched to reliable talent. Sign up for a free consulting call with one of our experts today. Go to trustshoring.com.